Our second reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of God's robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of God's glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. So we are here, and I would like to send us on a journey to think about the island of Lesbos, a Grecian island. It is known, as you may know, for its relaxing hot springs and natural beauty and sleepy atmosphere. It is a place that relies on tourism. And yet, in the summer of 2010, a different type of traveler began to arrive on their shores. Desperate men, women, and children fling war and death and destruction. At first, it was just a trickle of people, small dinghy boats with a handful of refugees, mainly from Syria, Afghanistan, and Iraq. But towards the end of 2014, as you may remember, the numbers increased. Boats made for 12 were crammed with 60 people. The refugees' journey to Lesbos was long and dangerous, and they needed help, and they just showed up with the clothes that were on their backs. Now, the people of those towns on that island came together. They wanted to be flexible. They wanted to help. And the needs were changing and adapting, and so, while a bit overwhelmed, they too tried to stay flexible. For these people who were arriving were coming because of political problems that were beyond their control. It wasn't local, it was international. So as individuals and as groups, they heard the need, they heard God's wonderful question, whom shall I send? And they offered themselves and they said, here we are. And they got to work. There's one small town called, if I hope I'm saying this right, Milovas. There's a thousand people there. 
And over the course of the refugee crisis, over 200,000 people walked into their little town. 38% of the refugees who came through Greece came through Lesbos. The needs were great. And this one woman, Melinda, who was a restaurant owner, started feeding people. And then, of course, it quickly, the, the needs grew quickly, and it became much bigger than what she and her restaurant and her neighbors could do. And so she started what is now called the Starfish Foundation. And it is a wonderful group that feeds and houses and look, tries to provide medical needs. And it is funded by people all over the world who were tourists and then found that they were coming to offer what they could during this crisis. And now it's 2018, and the asylum seekers are no longer coming in droves. And so the starfish group is turning their attention towards poverty and towards other concerns that are right there in their midst, perhaps concerns that they might not have been so keen to work on together just a few years ago. And that is not to say that all the refugees have left. There's still 8,500, 350 of which are unaccompanied minors. They're still waiting. They're still hoping for a better life and a better start. And so the people of Lesbos continue to work together to breathe hope and compassion into the ever-changing community that comes into their midst. And in some sense, I feel like that is the only thing and the best thing that we can do, isn't it? To respond to whatever God is doing right in front of us and say, here we are. What can we do? In our scripture this morning, we have a fantastic, large, large, huge understanding, vision of Isaiah encountering the living God. Isaiah says it's like a, a man, a king, seated in front of him, but just the hem of his robe fills up the entire temple. There's so much going on, winged seraphs, we could spend a lot of time trying to figure out what those were and what it meant. But they're flying around and they're singing. And I hope you get this impression that it's awe-inspiring. It is otherworldly. It is so impressive. And in the midst of this, Isaiah realizes how small and corrupt and sinful he is. How corrupt and sinful his community has become. And he realizes how far away he is from this beauty and amazing mystery that he is encountering that we call God. And when we look at where Isaiah is and where his community is, our story, of course, is that Isaiah is in the kingdom of Judah, which is in the midst of some big, chaotic politics as well. There are alliances to be made and are being made. And such alliances, wars, possible wars, intrigue, the kingdoms around him are positioning and vying for power. There is fear that their kingdom itself will be taken over. But do they go to war or do they make an alliance? 
There's a lot going on in this little kingdom of Judah. And what we understand from the book of Isaiah is that God is not really pleased with how all the politics are coming together. And according to the scriptures, from what we can piece together, we know that God isn't pleased, that the people are afraid, and that big, scary Assyrians and Babylonian empires are coming, and that destruction will happen. Refugees will come, and they perhaps will be refugees as well, captives going into another land. And so I love Isaiah's word for meeting God. In the midst of all of this chaotic uncertainty, he meets God and he says, Whoa. Whoa am I. This isn't going quite the way I think it should be going. My life maybe doesn't feel like the amazing picture that I feel like it should. Holy, holy, holy indeed is God. But our kingdom, whoa, I don't know. And Isaiah confesses, because I think he gets the discrepancy of where God would like the world to be and where it actually is, and his place in all of that. How much there is yet to do and yet to learn. And yet, God is merciful in his interactions or her interactions with Isaiah. And there's this ritual of purification, of cleansing and forgiving the hot coal that comes to Isaiah. The burning coal touches his lips and he is set free. His sins are forgiven. He is free of his brokenness, free of his cultural and personal sins, free to respond to God's awesome presence. And of course, what comes next is immortalized in our hymn, Whom Shall I Send? And Isaiah says, Here I am. Now, I'd love to know how those two sentences are delivered, wouldn't you? Because... Is God just talking to herself? Whom shall I send? Is God musing and wondering aloud to the seraphs and looking for someone to jump into the conversation? Or is God provoking Isaiah to jump up, like a parent looking at her son saying, now who will take out the trash? We will never know for certain. But we do know that in Scripture, this is one of the only times when the words of here I am are spoken in response to God, when God isn't specifically calling that person's name. When the words are spoken as an offering. When the words are out there and the person jumps and says, oh, here I am. Remember before in Moses and Abraham and Jacob and Samuel, God calls them by their name, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm here. But this one, whom shall I send? And Isaiah, in this state, 
of excitement, of thanksgiving, of feeling free, jumps at this opportunity. He's open to whatever God needs, and he wants to give it back. And I bet that he has some regrets later. Because the very next line that we didn't hear this morning is the part of the story where God says, okay, here's what you get to do. And at that point, I bet he's waiting or wishing he had waited for God to actually call his name. Because God sends Isaiah back into his community. And he says, you need to go speak to them and to speak my words and my wisdom. And I know, and I know that they will not listen to you. And that's just going to be part of your call. It seems a bit unfair. It does not sound like the kind of call that I would like to take up. Great volunteer, now go do this terrible thing. Usually, that's what we do when someone doesn't show up to a committee meeting, right? (laughs) Woe to you who doesn't show up to that meeting. That's also why some of us jump in and say, oh, I'll do. I'll take the notes, because you know there are other tasks at hand. But he says yes, and then God says, good luck, it's going to be hard. And he goes and he does it anyway. And isn't that faithfulness? Being God's hands and feet and body and mouthpiece in the midst of political war and unrest and famine and a refugee crisis and people who don't want to hear that there is another way of living together. God seems to know the people. God seems to know us, how hard it is for us to hear prophetic voices. And yet, There's a beauty to this story as well, where God says, I know that these are my people and they're not going to listen very well. But do it anyway, because some of them will. Now, God doesn't really say that, but we know that, because in the end of the story, in the end of God talking to Isaiah in this next section, God says, you know, there will be a lot of people who don't listen. There will be destruction, but then there will be a stump. And biblical scholars that you are, I'm sure you remember that their stump is an important image in the book of Isaiah. The stump of Jesse from which a shoot will come. A remnant of people who are faithful, who will carry the message forward. I'd like to think that that hope is what keeps Isaiah going. Because it is that kind of call that I think we desperately need, that kind of response to call, is what we desperately need in our world today. The kind that says we will keep fighting and we will not lose hope. The understanding that sometimes the needs are so great that it will take time years and generations even, to move us towards greater equality 
and equity and dignity between all of God's children. And it's also a challenge to those of us who are doing the work to keep our egos in check. We are tempted to think that doing God's work is our time for glory, or that somehow feeding the poor and the refugee is glamorous. Because as we know, it's not. The Starfish Foundation in Lesbos continues its work today to bring justice and dignity to the refugees that traveled through their towns. They partnered with a group called Dirty Girl Productions and worked with British artist Arabella Dorman to create a traveling piece of art that is hung in some very large cathedrals right now in England. And as you walk in to see this piece, you have to look up because the piece is suspended as an installation above your head. And it is created out of hundreds of items of clothing that refugees left behind in Lesbos. And the nonprofits got together and picked up all of the clothes and the shoes and they cleaned them and they packed them in boxes and they sent them to Britain. At which point they were brought out and shaped and put into this great installation that swirls around a globe of light. One person said that by bringing the hidden wearers of these garments into our immediate presence, we are invited to contemplate the real individuals behind the politics and the human stories behind one of the most defining issues of our time. As you walk in and you encounter this piece of art, and you can look at it online as I did, there's some beautiful uh, videos of it. In the center is a globe of light, and it dims and comes back on as you watch, very slowly. And the artist describes this as an urge to not let the suffering sisters and brothers slip from our sight, our awareness, or our commitment to justice and compassion, generosity and hospitality. And aren't those words that describe the holy, transcendent God that calls us to community? The people of the Starfish Foundation are continuing to look for ways to put real people and real needs to share stories, to invite us into a shared humanity with the refugees and the outcasts of our society, of our world that are happening today. I think it is a beautiful way of answering the call. How will we respond? Whom shall we send? May we May we say, here we are, send us.